What's up, Purpose Driven Entrepreneurs? It's me, your host, Timmy Bauer. My guest today is Jennifer Cation Armstrong. She is a New York Times bestselling author. She's the author of seven pop culture history books, including Seinfeldia, Mary and Lou, and wait, Rhoda? Rhoda. Is it yes, Rhoda? Yes, okay. That's a I, character on the Mary I, Tyler Moore show. <laughs> I never watched the Mary Tyler Moore show. <laughs> a lot of, I always know, and especially it's an age thing to some extent too. A lot of people are like Mary and Lou and Rhonda and Ted. And I'm like, Rhonda, no, that's okay. <laughs> I watched the Dick Van Dyke show. I loved the Dick Great. Van Dyke show. Yes. Yeah. You should, you would love the Mary Tyler Moore show. If you like the Dick Van Dyke show for real, you should go, you should go binge it sometime. Okay. I'll have to um, also <laughs> sex and the city and us. And when women invented television, her work appears in many publications, including BBC Culture, The New York Times, Book Review, Vice, New York Magazine, and Billboard. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you, Jennifer. I don't normally talk to like very published authors on this podcast. So thank you so much for being on. I like the idea of being very published. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, so what I mean, what I mean by that is most of the, most of the authors that I talk to on this podcast are business book authors where it's like, um, you know, they're the founder of such and such company. And they also wrote, you know, um, marketing for SAS or something like right, that. Right. Right. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. So, and no knock on those types of books, no, uh, no. but it's very different from what you're doing for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a fellow writer, so I thought it would be really cool to just kind of ask you all kinds of questions related to your career as a writer. Great. Uh, so one thing that I'd honestly like to start with is just, um, have you always, uh, have you, like, wh when, when did you feel like you had, like, a, like a breakthrough of success as a writer? Or what would you say was, like, a first point of that for you? I mean, I can think of a few things, but I'm going to focus on as an author to make it a little bit easier. And I think I would say when- Because what kind of writing were you doing before you became a published author? I was, I've always been a journalist my whole life. So um, even going back to like high school, I was working at the local newspaper, you know, professional level while okay, I was okay. also, you know, so I've always been doing that. And I was on staff at Entertainment Weekly for 10 years, which leads us into what I was going to say, which was that um, I kind of decided that that had been my dream job. Being at Entertainment Weekly was my dream job, you know, for, since college. And then it's kind of that feeling of like, okay, what do I do now? Um, and I had been there for 10 years and was getting a little burned out. I don't want to complain about it. It was a nice job. But wanted new challenges and all of that stuff and had written one book kind of for hire, like, like a publisher had been looking for someone to write a book about the 1950s Mickey Mouse Club. And I just said okay. like, I will figure that out. I will do it so that I can have a book contract. And I wrote was that Was the idea I of doing like pop culture history, um, I don't know if that's how you would label it, but was that like, was that something that you were drawn to or was that something that you like, this was, this was the first time that you thought of doing that kind of a book? I was drawn to it, but it was also that this publisher had been looking for someone to do that. I just, I had been written about, writing about current Disney stars at that time. So that was like Miley Cyrus, Selena Gomez era. And I thought like, it's close enough to what I know. And also just, I had always wanted to write a book. Like this was definitely my dream. And so someone coming, a major publisher, Grand Central coming to me and saying, 
do you want to do this book? I just thought like, I will figure this out. I will Google this. I will, you know, and so that's what I did, but I did that while I was still on staff. And that was really, really hard to do and do it well, keep like, keep doing both my job well. And why is that? I mean, cause you're, we're talking about, you go to work and write all day, you come home and write at night, you write on the weekend, you take a week off so that you can write. And it just was too, too. And it's like starting to really like, though all of this is a pretty, these are pretty nice ways to make a living. Like at some point you have to stop doing this one thing, you know? And so that was, that was really hard and kind of what you were hinting at there. I also thought like, after that experience, I was like, what if I wrote a book like that, but about something that I was genuinely interested in instead of this being foisted upon me. So I, that was when I wrote a proposal for my book about the Mary Tyler Moore show, which became Mary and Lou and Rhoda and Ted. And I sold that to Simon and Schuster for enough to quit my job. And that to me was was that process like? like? So when you sell a nonfiction book, generally what happens is you write a proposal, which is always more involved than people think or want it to be, but it probably should be, you know, they're going to give you a lot of money to write this book. And so it's, it's basically like a business plan, really. It's like you saying, here's why you should let me write this book and you should publish it, you know? Um, and so I did that and you, that's also, you get an agent, you get a nonfiction agent that way. I got it. I needed to get a new agent for various reasons at this point. So I got a new agent to, you know, with that, and then she sold it to Simon and Schuster. So that's like a very basic, you know, overview of like, what happens is they send it out to a bunch of editors. You hope more than one of them wants it because that's when they bid against each other then. Yeah. And in this case, I got really, really lucky. It was actually a pretty cool story. It was like a little Cinderella story in this case where my agent sent it out to a bunch of people she thought would be interested in. We had, you know, what's called an auction. So there's a day where they have to, that you have to submit your bid by this, you know, date and time. Is it still like this? It is. It is. Okay. Um, And it was, this was on a, you know, Friday that she had set the deadline. So she sent out the email saying, you have to, you know, give us your bids by like 9am on Friday or something like that. We had a bunch of them. They were all very nice. I talked to the the editors, which is a common part of the process to make sure you, you know, connect. And at the very last minute, she got an email from the actual publisher, like the guy in charge at Simon & Schuster, who was John Carp at the time. And he had, she had not sent it to him, but he had seen it in the like meeting notes from one of the smaller, you know, subsidiaries and plucked it out because he turned out to be a fan of the Mary Tyler Moore show and loved the proposal and put in the winning bid on this. And he actually ended up editing it too, which was phenomenal because he's, you know, doesn't usually edit books at this, at that point. Um, so it was just this like really great, you know, I sold it for enough, which, you know, I sold it for six figures, which was what I was aiming for in order to be awesome. able to eat and quit my job while writing the yeah. thing. And that's just not I, common though, isn't it? Where you would sell no. a book for six figures, like, especially as a new author. I mean, yeah. I was relatively new and, you know, I, this would have been my second. Yeah. Um, and I didn't like, to be honest, like I've talked about this publicly, so I don't mind that first book about the Mickey Mouse Club actually bombed. 
Um, so I was really lucky in that they kind of forgave that sometimes they'll hold that against you, but because yeah. he loved this idea so much and he loved the proposal, he felt okay about it. And he, you know, that was why I was able to do it. And it is, I've also like to explain to people, there's different factors that go into how much you get for a book. One was that it was an auction situation. So that's when you drive the price up. Yeah. Um, the second thing is, you know, I was lucky. I did have already have and do have a platform. I was I was on staff at Entertainment Weekly for 10 years. And yep. so that gives you both, you know, credibility to be able to pull off what you're saying you're going to do and also to for people to sort of trust you and maybe even be drawn to the book specifically because they know you from your work already. On top of which, I write books about known pop culture entities, yeah, right? So part say. of that is it would be different if I was like, you know, I don't know. It's 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 a chancier operation to say I want to write a book about dolphins or something, um, you know. But if I come to them and say I want to write a book about this incredibly popular television show, um, that helps because they know that even without me, there's a built-in audience for something that has a fandom, and so that's something that we're constantly sort of gaming with with my specific books. Yeah. So I was going to ask, are you sort of looking for things that have a ton of um, fandom around them, but nobody has taken the angle that you've taken uh, with exactly. it? It's exactly it. And I mean, it's, it's sort of maddening in some ways and more people since this time, since the time of that book, a lot more people have started writing books like this. That was still a pretty new, like, especially television movies. Yes books or um, music. Absolutely. There's a zillion books about Bob Dylan, but yeah. people weren't just, people were just starting to take TV seriously. What enough. year was the first book and what year was the second? Uh, well, the first book was 2010. The Mickey Mouse Club book was 2010 uh -huh, uh -huh. and Mary and Lou came out in 2013, but I would be, it would have been selling it in like 2011. Um, so this was really a new idea that people would write serious pop culture histories about TV shows. And, you know, so it was still a little bit, now it's a very crowded marketplace. So you're constantly wanting to like claim the thing before someone else claims the thing, you know, whatever you, the, the TV show or the movie that you, you want to do. Do you have other aspirations aside from this, this genre of, of work? Um, I am actually considering currently writing a novel. Um, which would be almost like, I don't want to, kind of, I would probably do it on the side essentially, because I would probably finish it and then try to sell it, you know, so it would be something that I'm doing aside from my normal, you know, money-making operations. It's, if I do this, it's probably still going to be in the realm of pop, like there's still going to be a lot of pop culture and build on that audience, I think. Um, but that's, I mean, and you know, I, I like to write serious things. I like to, you know, think that I'm sort of elevating the discussion a little bit, but I still think any of these things I'm staying in the vicinity of pop culture. Yeah. I wonder how I could apply this because in the world of kids books, like there are, like there was a, the office made a, into a kid's book. I'm surprised. That, that I did not, not know that. That is fast. That is really extraordinary. Yes. And I'm shocked that there's not more of that. Like, I kind of want to be like, you know what? Why not Seinfeld? You should know you should do it. I think this is a great idea. Like if, especially if the office happened, 
Um, the office is such a fascinating one because it's like, that's, that one's really the last few years. There's like been this explosion of books and interest in like, there's, there's a couple more books coming from uh, cast members of the office, even though there was a very definitive oral history of it. It's really become this incredible thing. Yeah. Um, I was listening to you talk on a, on a podcast called author hour and you said it's not like you just like you can't just take a bunch of trivia and like package it together as a book um but i didn't hear what your answer to that what so like what so it's not that so what is it like what do you have to do well i mean i think you can like there are books that are you know literally something like seinfeld trivia or whatever like but that i that is not what i do um, in fact, I always joke, like, cause a lot of times people can't have me on as a guest and then want me to like play Seinfeld trivia. And okay, I'm like, okay. I'm not probably going to win just so you know, <laughs> like, let's be clear. I didn't just, you know, I can, I'll look up the fat, those little facts, those yeah. I didn't memorize them all. Um, I mean, I, I'll, whatever I say, I'm going to sound very like snooty and like, I'm thinking too hard about this, but, um, you know, the way that I think of my books, they are, they are narrative you know, histories of these shows. Another way to think of it is like a biography of a show. So yeah. I'm talking about the social significance of it, you know, in addition to, you know, I have fun backstage stories and all of that. Cause that's, you just, you need a narrative, you know, you need a fun narrative. Um, so they are, they're always diving into like the origins of the, the show, the making of the show, all of that stuff. Um, but it's a narrative, it's a story. So it's not just like a bunch of facts. And, you know, it's also the thing that I'm most interested in is diving into sort of the social and cultural history of the thing and why it's popular. So I'm trying to make sense of it more than just spew a bunch of random facts at you so that you, you know, they will also tend to help you with your like pub trivia contests if you read them. But I think they're a little more fun to read than just that and also you know, I never like, I'm a little snooty about the shows I even pick because I will never pick a show unless I feel like there's something that it said something bigger about the culture of the time. Yeah. When you're writing, do you have a group of beta readers that are reading this and telling you when it gets boring and whatnot? And I'm also just curious about how much of conventional wisdom do you follow as a writer? Like one, so I have another podcast or I had another podcast called writing better where I was interviewing writers um, I had to stop because this podcast was take was the priority. Um, but uh, I, I like to ask people like, what's a framework that you've either been taught or discovered that you use on a regular basis? Do you have anything like that? I definitely have beta readers. I'm a huge proponent. Pro I'm a huge proponent of that. Um, and I tell people constantly, like, you just can't like you have to have other people read stuff. Yes. Before, well, you I, know? I, I, yeah. On the podcast I was just on, somebody asked, you know, what's your best advice for writing a kid's book? And I was like, you know, three things. One, any page that's not eliciting a physical reaction mm. out of the kids you're reading to is a wasted page. Mm. Two, you need to be, while you're writing, you need to be constantly reading in front of kids. And then um, three, you need to adopt an iterative mindset about your work where you are constantly changing the text to cause physical reactions in kids as you're reading it to them. I love that. I, I'm guessing that we don't have the same standard for adult books because it would be a lot. Um, <laughs> but I'm always going to think of this now because I think it's like a good little thing to kind of like, maybe you're not going to be, you know, having your 
adult readers rolling in the aisles <laughs> all of the time. But it's a fun thing to sort of think like, can I get every page? Is there something that gets, you know, that sticks with them? Yeah. Um, I love that as a standard. And yeah, it's the I same have, principle. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you I off. was just going to say like, yeah, I, and I, of course, don't read them, read it out loud to my beta reader, readers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Long, but I always have beta readers. And I think that that might be, if there's like one thing you need to do, that's probably it. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the question that I ask everybody on this podcast is what is it that you're really living your life for? So the way I, I ask the question, I usually say, you know, what do you want to be known for when you die? Or when you think of the question of what am I living for? What jumps out to you? I think, um, and it's so funny because I've been thinking, maybe we're all, we've all been thinking more about this after yeah. the last year or so. Um, but I've definitely been thinking about it and in relation to my work, cause also I've done enough that I'm kind of starting to go like, okay, do I like, do I want to just keep doing the same thing? Do I want to do something else? Anyway, um, I think that, you know, at least for given what my interest and talent is and all of those things, um, the main thing is that I hope that I am elevating the discussion around pop culture. I think pop culture is really important. And a lot of times gets dismissed as just like silly, but it's actually so, especially now, if you think about yeah. how much we watch something like Netflix, like yeah. that's yeah. in your brain, that's yes. influencing everyone's behavior. And so, and it is also such a great artifact of our time. Like if there, if you want to see what a time was like, you know, if you want to see what the nineties were like, watch Seinfeld, right? And so I think that people tend to dismiss it when it's this incredibly important thing that we should be constantly examining. And so I hope that I help people do that, but I also hope like that it kind of brings some joy as well, which I think it tends, you know, people like to talk about the things they love. I love sharing my passion for these things with other people who have passion for it. It's, it's an elevating experience. And so I hope that that's, you know, that's what I'm sort of aiming for here. Why is that so important to you that it's one of the things you want to hang your life on? I mean, part of it is more like, I, I think I had to work backwards. It was like, it's also, I think a talent I happen to have, like the way I always think of it and describe it is like, I think I kind of like make people feel good and smart about the pop culture that they love. Um, and I think, I, I hope I also like bring something to that discussion, like that I'm taking Seinfeld and saying like, think of it this way and look at what it shows you, you know? Um, and it's, always been a passion of mine through, you know, my entire life. Like, so, like I was a little girl and we would still get the guide in the mail and I would read it cover to cover every week and circle what I was going to watch and like nerd out about it. Um, so clearly there's like something there for me. And, you know, like I said, I just think that it's something that people can and should pay more attention to. And it's also fun. So, yeah. you know, I, sometimes I, I definitely think like, oh, that, per that person over there is a human rights lawyer. Like they're doing something way more important than I am. But that clearly wasn't my sort of like God-given talent or destiny. So that's part of me it neither. Too. Me right? neither. But, but, <laughs> but similarly, like kids books are connective tissue between parents and their kids. Pop culture is connective tissue of society. That's true. That's like super true. I'm very interested in like fan culture and have done a lot of work kind of studying that. And that's, I'm constantly struck by this, the ways that 
you know, you can talk to a stranger because they like Seinfeld too, um, is really great. Like, and also, by the way, when you said between parents and children, it's actually like pop culture is often the sort of like, Oh yeah. I plan on making a kid's book called when I was a kid in the, and then insert decade. (laughs) So first one is going to be when I was a kid in the nineties and it's just going to be like 90s stuff that a kid would find a kid today would find ridiculous, but is going to induce nostalgia in the parent who's reading it. That's brilliant. And like, think of sometimes, you know, I just had my mom visiting for the week and like, you know, we almost always end up sort of reverting to like at nighttime, you know, between dinner and bedtime, there's all, there's like often this time when we're like, we're probably going to watch you've got mail or, when Harry met Sally or one of those kinds of things we watched. We also this week watched, um, the Apple TV plus, uh, series Schmigadoon and enjoyed that together. Like, so having those things, those ways of connecting, my dad loved Seinfeld. And so he loved my, my Seinfeld book. And we talked about that, you know, so it's a real, it, it does connect generations sometimes too. Oh yeah. I'm like really excited about the idea of pitching the Seinfeld book to, I don't even know who I'm supposed to pitch to. Maybe I could talk to you about that. It's a brilliant idea. I mean, especially if there was already an office one, I think you could do, there's a number of things you could do. Friends, everything. Friends for sure. For sure. There needs to be one for friends. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm going to jump on this before somebody else does. Uh, Jennifer, uh, my for fun question for you. I have two for fun questions for you. The first one okay. is, uh, what is a kid's book that you would make if you could? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure, but maybe, I mean, I actually think I would even, um, this is like a sort of boring answer, but I my most recent book was When Women Invented Television. And it was, it's about the women of, the, of early television from yeah. like 1948 to 1955. And I actually think that would make, a great children's book oh, or series yeah. of children's books, just all those different women. And that could, you could even do a series and it could be like ones on Lucille Ball, ones on Gertrude Berg, ones on Betty White, you know, like that would be really fun. Um, I was also just a huge fan of the Francis books, the ones about the Badger. Do you know this one no. from the eighties? Oh, they're, they're just darling. Um, they were really, really formative. I still have a couple of them and they okay. are really, really lovely. Um, what, what is it called? The, the character is called Francis. So there's like a bargain for Francis. Okay. Okay. A birthday for Francis. Look I'm them up. I'm checking it out right after this. Really, episode. really, really darling. Link in the show um, notes. Yes. Yes. They are. They are still like, I still look at them to get this warm feeling, but also they're je- like, they're good. They're like good, good little stories that I still love reading. That's awesome. All right. Last for fun question for you, Jennifer. What is something that you currently suck at that a year from now you want to be great at? I am a big, I love this question because I'm a huge fan of doing things that I'm not great at because I was always an overachiever. Um, okay. So it's, I've been trying to do this more in my adult life, like take up hobbies that I'm not amazing at. Um, yeah. So, you know, I play guitar and sing and I'm like, okay. Um, I post videos on YouTube anyway. And that's been a very like freeing experience for me. Um, cause people te- seem to really like it and I'm like, fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I hope I can still get better at that someday, but I also, um, my partner and I are, have gotten into rock climbing. We actually just fought awesome. a place upstate New York to do it more. And I am not good at all. He is, he's like naturally talented. I, I suck get- at it. 
my best friend loves it really so yeah, you understand you know you know um and he's like you know like i do it i started doing it with him because i was like well he loves it and it's something we can do together regardless of like our level to some extent and yes. um i do want to like i do i would like to get better at it but it's i'm really dealing with like a basic level of fear and <laughs> things like that that i need to overcome but you know i could just not do it but i there's something there that for me is very interesting. And so I, I hope that I get a little, at least a little bit better at that. Yeah. Well, you have to have a physical hobby. I think just as a yep. human being, like, I think yep. people have lost the thread of like, what, what some of the most fundamentally important things are for being a human. It's like, yep. you got to have a skill that you just like pour into to develop, to make a career out of. And then you've got to have hobbies that bring you peace and joy and yep. you've got to have a physical hobby or you're just not going to be healthy. That's so true. And like when we were even talking about when I would like when I was writing the book and had a full time job writing, um, it's actually when I took up guitar and it was mainly because I figured out that like it's it's an activity that I could do that where I literally could not write. Right. I'm physically engaged yeah. with this guitar. And yeah. so I just had to have anything that I could do that wasn't anywhere near something, no reading, no writing, none of that. It had to be this whole other thing. And I also think like, it's good for your brain and all that as you get older to be not necessarily doing something that you're great at, but you know, learning something. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Jennifer, um, aside from subscribing to your YouTube channel where you're playing guitar, uh, <laughs> what social media are you most active on that listeners could connect with you? Um, I'm on Twitter and uh, Instagram and both places. I am JMK Armstrong. So you can check me out there. Awesome. It was awesome talking to you. Thank you so much for being on. Sure. Thank you for having me. Thank you.